When a double-dealing newbie joins their D&D campaign, five friends are jolted out of their fantasy world. This is the story of The Party, an amazing web series available to watch on YouTube. Margaret, the co-creator, director, and executive producer of the series, reached out to me to see if I was interested in learning about the experiences of two of the series' cast members as Asian actors in LA. And you know I said yes. Now, I am extremely grateful for the time that Nabila and Zach lent me. This was a fantastic interview, and the series itself is phenomenal, and I know you folks are going to love it. I'm also extremely grateful for our wonderful patrons, who are the backbone of Asians represent. If you like what we do, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash aznsrepresent. Now, let's get to the episode. I want to talk all about the show. I want to talk about your characters. I want to talk about your your career so far. Because I am extremely excited about the party. For a little bit of context, I've been playing D&D for over 20 years. Mm. Um, I've been working in the tabletop gaming industry since 2017. Uh, and I've actually written for official D&D products. Um, but I have never seen anything like the party before. Uh, the party is super intriguing to me because it's very much this generation's version of the guild. If you folks have watched the guild like with Felicia Day. Um, but there's something about the party that I think is special. A, it's a tabletop RPG, so it's far more relatable to me as somebody who was very much discouraged by my family from being like, why would you pay $13 a month for a World of Warcraft subscription, <laughs> subscription right? That that's that's a waste of money. Um, but like, oh, you're reading, you're reading D and D books. Okay, cool, that's fine. Oh, D and D's helping you with your math. Cool, you need the help anyways, Daniel. Um, but I think the party is also really important and more relatable to me because there are like two Asian characters in it, played by you folks, and your characters without any spoilers because this series deserves to be watched without any spoilers. Your characters are very different from other Asian characters that you see in media. They very much break a lot of the stereotypes that we see. Um, if you disagree, like I'd love to know why. But for me, I, I've never seen characters like that before. I've never seen characters that I can relate to. Say, <laughs> he he's just a male guy. But Come here. It's okay. It's okay. Sorry. I'm gonna... <laughs> I might keep that in. <laughs> Terrifying. He might make oh. an appearance behind me. He's beautiful and I That's totally okay. That's totally I'm like, you know what? We're gonna I'm gonna I wanna talk about how important this series is and your dog's just like, fuck no. I'm gonna go kill the person outside of our home. Um uh, um but yeah as i was saying like you know it was it was refreshing to see your characters Uh, it was refreshing to see real people not fantasy characters it was your characters were real people um trying to live their lives and i think that was what really drew me into the series like i consume a lot of DD content like i love so does your dog Sorry. But my, re- my reaction. That's totally okay. That's totally okay. Hi, Dex. Um, but there's something about 
the party that is more than just D&D. It was more, it was relatable. Like it could have been board games. It could have been video games. It could have, it could have been anything. But I think the stories, the individual character stories were just so fascinating that, and I think anybody can really get into it. Like I'm going to have my partner watch it and she's only played D&D a handful of times and I think she'll still enjoy it. Um, so with all of that said, I am super excited to have you on like the podcast with me. I am happy that your dog is also you know, with us. Um, and Zach, if you've got pets that are being silent, I'm, ha- I'm happy if they're with us too. Um, but before we dive into it, I, I don't want to assume that our audience has watched all of the party. I hope that after this, they all do. Uh, but I'd love to start with introductions. Uh, let's start with you, Nabila, just because your dog's quiet right now. Who are you? Like, what? Like, who do you play in the party? And, you know, what have you done so far as like an actress? Who am I? My name is Nabila Hussain. I am an actress in Los Angeles. Um, what do I play in the party? I play DM, uh, which is short for Dungeon Master. Uh, about the only, I think that's about the only <laughs> double name that our cast has because no one else has two names. Um, no one calls me Dungeon Master in the show. Uh, it's just DM, always. Um, and then um, my acting journey, this is, um, I am officially about a little bit over five years in, in film and TV in Los Angeles. So, um, and it's been a really great journey. That's that's incredible. Five years. You're like, you're. Ba- are you considered like a veteran at this point? At like five years? Listen, so I'm going to tell you something. <clears throat> this is my definition of what it means to, but to like um, determine success for yourself or a level of mastery for yourself. Before I came out to Los Angeles, I said to myself, I'm walking into a completely different industry. I don't know anything really about it. Um, what can I do to master this world so that I can walk into this new field confidently? And, and this was my idea. This was my brilliant plan. No one ever told me this. Okay. I said to myself, I said, when was the last time I got an official sort of degree or a certificate of completion? And I said, oh, it was in college and it took me about four or five years. Okay. So I will do it again. I will invest the next four to five years in this completely new industry. And I'm going to do it by myself because apparently people call LA the Mecca of film and TV. Okay, let's go find out. And that's exactly why I'm, I'm so in terms of, in terms of the question <laughs> about, do I feel like a pro or, or a veteran? I think it's more like, I, I feel like I have mastered the education of film and TV at the five-year mark. Now it's just putting it to practice. What, what, what? That's my answer for you. I love it. I love it. Uh, because I know that like you have a background in Bollywood dance. I and do. so, so your, your sort of transition was from like dancer to actress. Is that kind of, is that kind of your journey? Almost there. Daniel, we're getting deep. Okay. We're getting, um, <laughs> I, I have a, a bachelor's degree in civil and environmental engineering. 
Um, and I worked as a roadway designer in the transportation sector That's for awesome. about seven years before I, I, I moved over. So uh, around the same time uh, is when I got the opportunity to act on TV. Bollywood dance was something I did in the evenings and I did it to almost a semi-professional degree because I did it for 10 years because I couldn't sit still, Daniel. I got, I had to, and I, and I can't do the subscription for the gym. I can't do it. So I happened to find a group of people who wanted to get together weekly to rehearse and put on shows every season. So that that's knock on wood. That's been basically my past. <laughs> I, I feel that the, uh, not being able to sit still, Listen. not being able to sit still. I, I, I can't relate to the dancing thing. I took dance classes in university and was just like, not for me, not for me. I've tried salsa, ballroom, swing, couldn't do any of it, couldn't do any of it. Uh, but for me, my sort of thing was martial arts. And, and that's where like, hey, we've got our, we've got our second guest, Zach. Why, why don't you introduce yourself? Because you're more uh, than just a martial artist. You're more oh, than yeah. just a martial artist. But, you know, it's a it's a big plus for me. Um, I'm Zach Kumaishi. I play Yorick on The Party. Um, Yorick's, Yorick's just a, a fun little guy, you know? Um, and, and my acting journey has... I'm, I'm the baby of the cast as far as uh, relative years in the, in the industry. I graduated from uh, UCLA's School of Theater, Film, and Television in 2020. Um, right in the middle of everything. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was a, a real time uh, getting my bearings while everything was pretty much entirely virtual. Um, but I, while I was there, my degree was uh, theater with a focus in acting, stunt fighting, and martial arts choreography. Um, that's always been pretty much a 50-50 split in where my attention has been um, going forward. I've trained in, oh, I don't know, 10 to 14 different martial arts from anywhere between one and 20 years. Um, wow. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like a, a jack of all trades kind of thing. I don't have like a black belt in any one discipline, but I do have a wide berth of experience. You took the uh, you took the Bruce Lee approach, exactly. Yeah, you took the Bruce Lee approach. You do you do everything, and I honestly really liked your character in, in the party because you were like that little chaos agent. Exactly, chaos he didn't agent. have like a big one. One of the discussions that I had with Margaret going into the shoot was that Yorick doesn't have a huge like you know arc, maybe so much as some of the other characters do, where they have like these you know, intense moments of self-reflection. And they're like, wow, I'm really just having to recategorize everything that's going on in my life. Yorick was the high insight player in real life where he was just kind of sitting in the background. He was one of the first ones to clock a lot of the things that were going on. And he was also just kind of cool with it as long as his weekly D&D was able to go uninterrupted. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I love that. I think you need to have that kind of balance in your in your sort of cast. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I also like love the most about your character was that you really don't see Asian characters that are, you know, trying to be actors that have all of these like other side hustles that are seen as desirable, that are seen as characters who are, you know, trying to romance others. Like I, 
years ago, I, I got to interview Simu Liu before he was Shang-Chi. And we talked about uh, Kim's Convenience, which is filmed where, where I live in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about how you don't see a lot of Asian characters uh, of any gender seen as desirable and nuanced and smart and sort of very self-aware at all the same at the same time and that's what i really liked about yorick yorick was just there to have a good time they knew exactly what they wanted and they kind of in, in their own way they drove the drama forward and so you're playing this double role as like a character in the fictional D&D game, but also the character in this real world. And I think that's what made York really cool. And same thing with DM. I thought DM was really interesting because I really vibed with that. DM was a character who was like not super satisfied with their life and felt a lot of control and purpose with their game. And I think that's what a lot of people feel. I think a lot of people, especially during the pandemic, I, I bet a lot of Asian people too, don't really like or don't, are unsure about the path that they've taken because of family. And they turn to other things. And D&D is such a powerful tool for this to express themselves, to explore their identity, to explore their creative side in, in a way that's really safe. And I think more people need to see this because... I think a lot of people experience D&D, at least in film and television, through things like The Big Bang Theory. And it's just, hey, we have these characters, and it's a sitcom, and they're playing D&D, and they're all nerdy. And their interaction with D&D is very simple. It's a game they play, and it's there to reinforce these character backgrounds of their geeks. But in the party, D&D was more than just, hey, these characters are nerds. That wasn't what was communicated. It's, hey, this is where these people bond. This is where these people have this found family. And this is where these people express themselves. And I think that's what makes the party really relatable. I don't know if you agree with me um, or why you think the party might be special. I mean, I, I totally agree on just the overall view of Dungeons and Dragons in in common media and like the the impact that it's had has shifted so considerably in the last five to ten years you know I mean Stranger Things, Critical Role, everything that's bringing Dungeons and Dragons into the popular media lens has been really fascinating to watch how it's shifted as just the perception of it yeah um so I, I think that that's something that, yeah, I, I feel like a show like The Party wouldn't have the same thrust as it does now it, before, you know, D&D was given the chance to kind of reinvent itself. Yeah. I think when I first joined, I mean, to, to jump off of that, I didn't realize, I actually didn't know a lot about D&D. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Okay. You have 20 years and, and Zach, uh, Zach is incredible in, in his own game and in his own experience with D&D and we can probably get to it later in the conversation, how I found out how incredible he actually is at DMing in real life. Um, but when I first discovered about the script and the role, 
in my research, I reached out to a few friends, one of them who DMs his own games and has been doing it for about five years. And then the other who is a, a player in a, in a game who also teaches computer science on Coursera. And he works for uh, like a huge computer science firm. Intelligent, both of these. Listen, these people are the smartest people I know. And I go to one of them, it's my best friend's uh, husband, all the time, Adam, for, for answers to things. So when I told him about this, and or I told Swati, and she said, you know, I think you should talk to Adam. He plays. I said, he plays what? He said, he plays D&D. And I said, this is unreal. I discovered that D&D is such a, a beautiful, like, I, I don't really want to say well-kept secret, but somehow of a secret that unless you hear that conversation being had, they don't come out of the woodworks <laughs> until then. And then they will tell you. And then I did, I went into a deep dive and I said, oh, this is a this is actually a game that has inspired many of the shows that we grew up on and raised us for the last 50 years. The Game of Thrones and everything else. And so when you get down to the root of it and you're playing with uh, your own friends, which I have the incredible opportunity of playing now, we play with the cast, you don't know it until you're at that game. Like why this is such a phenomenon. So... Um, I'm, I'm, I, my, my worlds have opened and many doors have opened since then. And I'm really grateful. But that moment of discovery, Daniel, I got to tell you, there's nothing like it when you're like, oh, that came from this. I knew they were insane. How did you come up with all of these things? Like your imagination's epic. And then you're just so delighted to find out the source. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, D&D has, the, the story of D&D is very interesting. Uh, because it comes from wargaming in the 60s. And even further back, the tradition of designing wargames for military use. Uh, it goes back really far. You could even say, since you, you play the Dungeon Master, I like, to, I like to say DM stands for Dramatic Manager, because you're making <laughs> drama. Um, but the, the first Dungeon Master, some might say the first ever DM, uh, his name's David Wesley. And he invented a, a game that is very much improv uh, called the Bronstein. He invented it in 1969. And I think it, it would be, I think more people should do this because uh, in the Bronstein, essentially everybody gets a character sheet. But mm -hmm. your character sheet is just, hey, this is, this is your name, this is your identity, and these are your objectives. Mm -hmm. And every person gets one. And you play the inhabitants of a fictional town, originally called the Bronstein. Uh, it was like this sort of medieval town. And the referee or the, like the dramatic manager would essentially tell everyone, hey, this is a scenario. And people in the room, up to 24, were free to essentially try to improv and role play their way to meet their objectives by you know, forming alliances, whether they be false or not. And at time intervals, people will write down orders for their characters and hand them into the referee, who would then move the board around. And this is kind of where the tradition of role-playing at the tabletop came from. And one of the co-creators of D&D, David Arneson, was a really big fan of the Bronsteins. And that kind of eventually became Dungeons & Dragons. So I thought it was really cool seeing 
you know, Yorick in a very dramatic way, trick everyone into going to an improv class. And I was like, the folks who wrote this and the cast all really get it because Yorick was like, oh, if we're going to play better, we're going to improv. And there was the, even that scene um, when Jean is like, I'm going to teach you how to min-max. I'm going to teach you how to optimize your character. And York's like, you did the right thing for the story. And I thought that this was just such an accurate depiction of what D&D is. Because, Zach, you mentioned Stranger Things. You mentioned, you know, we talked about Big Bang Theory. We talked about Critical Role. But I think what you folks did with the party was the most realistic look at what D&D was. Like the drama between the players. The how close the DM holds their story to their heart. Like it was... It's probably the best way to introduce someone to D&D, in my opinion, because of your performances, because of the way your human characters are. Um, and I really love that. So I just wanted to sort of tell you how much I appreciated the work that you did. Um, but I had a, a sort of a hard question, or maybe this isn't a hard question, depending on how much thought you put into this. Before we kind of started the recording itself. Namila, I told you that I had watched every episode of like this 2017 web series you did called Brown Girls. First of all, incredible. Put that on the record for the recording. Everyone should watch it. I, I signed up for an account to watch all of it uh, on the website. And with Brown Girls and with, you know, both of your characters in the party, I feel like you've done something incredible when it comes to bringing about positive representation of Asian characters in media. Because I think you folks being in the industry know better than probably me that there has been a long-term problem of how Asian characters are portrayed. Like we don't see characters with nuance or even respectful, you know, writing behind them, right? And you don't really realize how important representation is until you actually see what you've been missing. And I think that's the party to me. Uh, so I wanted to ask you folks, like, what do you, you know, from your own personal experiences, because all three of us have vastly different experiences, right? Um, Zach, my experience might be closer to you because I went to school for something that is less traditional than Nabila, your engineering background like I went to school my background's actually in anthropology nice. kind of like one of your characters in in the in the party my first reaction was this is a flagrant ethics violation and I had to do it <laughs> I had to get ethics approval when I was doing my my doctoral and master's work and for me I was like this is so wrong but I really love it <laughs> I mean let me tell you I think the most outraged responses that we got on the series like full emails drafted and written to the to the producers far and away were the people involved in like academia, academia and anthropology going this this cannot stand like this this would not like you'd be kicked out so fast yeah. um but but hey i i i stuck with it because like a i thought the writing was great and b it's a web series you know and in D D, you take liberties with the rules just like you do when you're writing a series. So I want to ask you folks, like when you're sort of playing a character on like the party or in any other 
role because you know zach you said you're new but you've got you've got multiple credits on imdb um and like some of them look like really intense too like what part of you do you bring to each role you play knowing that you may not get another chance knowing that people of color don't get to fuck up and so I want to ask you folks, like, what do you bring into your, you know, the roles of like DM and Yorick and, and Layla and, and like Brown Girls? Like, what do you bring into that to make sure that, you know, there is nuance and there is respect to the depiction of an Asian character? So you don't set the industry back and you set the industry forward in your own way. I'll start with you, Zach, since I asked Nabila first for the, for the introduction. Um, what do you bring into it? I mean, I feel like my experience in the industry is a really rare one um because i'm i'm mixed i'm half japanese um with like a little bit of hawaiian in there but mostly just like 50 50 white japanese and i can list on like one hand the number of current actors and performers in the industry that are hapa um so like growing up even less than seeing Asian representation in media, seeing Hapa representation, I, I had, I, I remember this very distinctly, the one time in my childhood, like growing up, seeing someone going, oh, that's someone who looks like me and my, members of my family was um, Ryan Potter, who he's- I know who Ryan Potter is. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's right now. But he was in a he was in a Nickelodeon series called uh, Super Ninjas. I so yes, S U T A H. Yeah, um, I know what Super Ninjas is. I think it had it had like Randall Park and George Takei. Like it was it was icons. Yeah, yeah, it was a great show. Um, so I had Ryan Potter in Super Ninjas, and I believe he was also in Big Hero Six. Um, <laughs> and then. Recently, we've gotten uh, Will Sharp from Succession, um, who I first saw. I haven't either. I first saw Will Sharp on um, a Netflix series called Giri Haji, um, which, if we're if we're doing shoutouts, so good. There's a lot of. It's a bilingual, like family drama kind of thing, um, Japanese English, um, and it has like queer storylines and mixed storylines and it's so good um but like that was it for me right um that was pretty much all of the representation that i saw of people who looked like my story um and so you know the mirror side of that is we get people like emma stone and scarlett johansson who are just like i'm mixed i'm I'm part asian right like emma stone one was so egregious yeah well, I, I don't even oh, remember man. the movie, but I've seen the clips of just like, you know, since Hapa people can be white passing, having white people passing as Hapa, it's just so, you know, it's a small niche that we occupy. Um, yeah. And I, and it's something that we've talked about a lot on the podcast. We've actually done like, like three out, four hours of content on mixed representation in D&D <laughs> and how that is super complicated too. Um, and we have like this ongoing sort of love in our community for Keanu Reeves, um, <laughs> who, who, who is, who, who is, I, he is, um, I know his, 
father is uh, Native Hawaiian. And on, I believe, his paternal father's side, there is some Chinese Hawaiian as well. Uh, so for me, like Keanu Reeves is like, ah, oh, yes. And he grew up in Toronto too. So like, I, I get it when we find a handful of actors who we, who we feel like we're close to or who have experiences similar to ours or who we just want to root for because we want to see them succeed because if they succeed, more Asians will succeed. That's why I think John Wick is really cool because it's like, this is an Asian hero who's just fucking everyone up um, in this blockbuster franchise that will call for more Asian actors to have interesting roles and more stunt workers like you to very much transition from doing stunt work to directing and writing because the directors of John Wick were both stuntmen. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, it's also, you know, John Wick, I feel like it's also so impactful and so interesting because he's not the like orientalized vision of Asian people in stunts, right? He's using like, I think they call it gun foo, but like it's, it's a yeah. lot of mixed grounded heavy action as opposed to like you know wire work and aerial flips and doing all that sort of thing that, that you see traditionally in like asians in stunt roles yeah it's not a it's not a wuxia movie exactly um, i've actually got a question related to that and then i do want to go back to the original one for Unibila as well mm-hmm. it's how i kind of feel about shang chi um i think that Shang-Chi could have been a far more impactful movie and story if he didn't have to go back to China to be a superhero. If that story took place in San Francisco and if his father was, you know, still Tony Lung, the the icon, but if his mother was maybe white and if Shang-Chi was a mixed character and if the entire story took place in San Francisco, I think that could have been a deeply resonating story for more people. Yeah, I don't know if I you mean, agree with that. I, I totally agree. Just because I feel like so often in media when telling stories with, I mean, I feel like this goes with pretty much any uh, any demographic, whether that's LGBT or, or um, any specific uh, racial demographic, the story when casting a person of color has to revolve around, you know, their cultural experience, you know, and, and, Shang-Chi was written, I don't know when, when the comic was first published, but a long, long time ago. I think it's, the character's it's been around for a while. Old story, right? And so I think that's just such a, a direct correlation of being like, we're going to write, you know, a, a Chinese superhero. And so then everything about the character must be coded as like a Chinese character, right? When in reality, it's so much more complex and nuanced where you have, you know, I'm I'm like a f- fifth generation um japanese so like my family has been around and there's there's so much more to our history than japan like that was such a footnote in in our story and my history um and and that's not really something we see it's it's always like first generation immigrants even in a lot of popular representation right like um I mean, I'm trying to think we had seeing or turning red. We had uh, everything everywhere all at once. And and so much of those very good, impactful media, but it's all first, second generation, right? Yeah. Yeah. I 
selfishly turning red is just for me so good because it's set in Toronto and <laughs> I wept when I first watched that oh, movie. Yeah. We towards the end there's that scene when they kind of go into that other world and I, I had to pause the movie and I cried for like 10 minutes. <laughs> I just because it was I had never seen myself like that. Yeah. Um but we need more stories like that. And I think with you know everything everywhere all at once succeeding, we're going to see this a24 just needs to do more Asian stuff. <laughs> and my hope is that with the Marvels coming out and Kamala Khan, mm-hmm. we're going to see even more characters like that. And even with Across the Spider-Verse, we have Spider-Man from India now in that yeah. movie. And I mean, I, I think this is going to bring about more interest in casting Asian actors in more nuanced roles that are not just you are an Asian Kung Fu master. You can be this, you know, oh, I hate, I, I was about to, you can't be this Asian Kung Fu master. You could be this assassin like John Wick. Um, <laughs> or you can be the stoner Asian like Randall Park and always be my maybe. That that for me is a really important one. Um, but I want to go back to you, Nabila, because I do want to talk about brown girls as well. Sure. But I wanted to like circle back and ask the original question about like, what did you bring into the character of DM? Yes. Okay. I was prepared <laughs> to answer. I continue this conversation in so many ways. Because we can. I, wherever you want this to go. This is such a wonderful discussion. But I'm going to um, um, rely on my training of answering your questions directly. That's kind of my first. Okay. <laughs> If you've ever met anyone in a technical field, one of their first instinct is to be of service to the question that you are asking. So if you immediately ask a question, I will immediately answer that. And then if I'm skilled enough, veer into uh, beautifully uh, going into the other conversations. I found out, listen, after coming into the entertainment industry, that they do that sort of first. And that is the art. If you've ever... If you ever want to chat with me about an hour-long discussion about the difference between the technical world and the artistic world, I will tell you so many things. Okay, I'm very curious about the artistic world because I. So my day job is I I work in tech as my day job, and I do this podcast and RPG design as like a freelancer. So I I don't know about the artistic side, which is why I'm so curious about the work that you both have done. That's interesting you say that because you are doing the artistic work of having a conversation fluidly, really effortlessly. What you are doing is exactly right. My, when you asked me, okay, how did you, yes, yes, you did. When you said, how did you prepare for DM? My brain just stopped and said, answer his question, stop on everything that you were thinking. And that's a training in the discipline of the way the brain works because we are used to working with numbers and um, productivity because time is our sense of God. Okay, right. So <laughs> to answer quickly your question and then coming back to this conversation, which is yeah. so easy. How did I prepare for DM? For DM, one of the things that I was told, or the first couple of things I was given was the two sides of her auditions. One was when she comes to Viola and says, um, hey, what you did for my plan, you completely ruined my plan and I have to rethink my structure all over again. But you know what? You did good. Okay, you're in. Here's your mini. That was that moment and that just that little bit of dialogue. Our creators are so, so talented. I can continue on how absolutely talented they are. 
just in those little five to six lines, you can see an arc immediately in DM. And in that moment, you can see how quickly she will speak her mind, judge you for the person that you are, and then recover, have a self-acknowledging moment, and then present a solution. To do that in five to six lines as a writer, you know, chef's kiss. Also, to tell the story of what that character is, she's complicated. You, you mentioned this before, um, as, as in general, while I didn't know the actual role of DM and how they do play multiple roles in all of the non-character uh, players um, in the game, the actual script lent itself to how quickly DM makes her decisions, how how solid she is in who who she is when she is talking to her friends, which is most of the show. And and in moments of um, her other parts of the story where she goes through a breakup, that was the second side that we had to do for the audition. It was her date with ecstasy. And she just asks ecstasy, why? Why do, you, why do you like me? So here's DM who knows exactly what she's doing and how to talk to all of her friends. And yet when someone says, I like you, she gets very insecure about why. I tell you, just from those two sides alone, I figured her sense of being out, she's someone who's coming of age into her own sense of confidence. She might have her things in order. She might pay her rent. She has a job. She wakes up. She organizes things. She's really good at being creative and imaginative and, and knowing how to host really well. But she does not know why she's worthy. Yeah, and I, I feel like every Asian person listening to this is just like, <laughs> oh, oh. it's that scene when it, it's that improv scene when everybody's getting stabbed. It's like, am I? And I mean, you even open this conversation with like, how did I? You know, what is success? This is my definition of success. I think it's something that like we all struggle with, right? It's like, yeah, we never feel like we're doing enough. We may feel like we're checking off all the right boxes. We may feel like, you know, we're making enough money. We're pleasing the right people, but we're never thinking about ourselves. No. We're never thinking about ourselves. And I, I could see that in DM and I could see that in, in Layla, who you played in Brown Girls, which yes. first of all, it's an achievement because like that series got nominated for a primetime Emmy for yeah. outstanding short form comedy or drama because I think the two characters were like so similar. I could see totally see that as like a prequel. Uh, I I thought that episode four, uh, the episode where um, Layla's family member comes and visits, mm-hmm. and they have that really uh, tender moment where, where Layla sort of like comes out, mm-hmm. and I thought that that was just so human. It was so beautiful that Layla was kind of assuming the worst of their family and their family going, cool. Yeah, that's, that's okay. Yeah. So what? And I really love that. And I want to see more of that in media that I consume. I want to see more vulnerability. I want to see characters like DM who may kind of have everything all together, but tying everything together, everything is bound together by tape. 
Yeah. Or they, they've got all of these, all of this trauma that they've collected That's with right. their ex, right? With, you know, their sense of belonging in their community or how their D&D group functions as kind of their therapy. Correct. Um, and I, you don't see that. You don't see that if you watch Critical Role. You see a group of people who are very, very good actors. Um, playing D&D at the highest level on a beautiful set. You don't see the scheduling conflicts. You don't see the personal drama. You don't see the, oh, we don't like this new person. Or we don't see how one person may try to guide a new person on how to play the game their way. We don't see that. And I think that's what makes the party so interesting. That's what makes the representation so interesting with your characters. And I think what really made the the representation um, so meaningful for me was, like we were saying, we have all of these moments of drama and conflict and we have representation of like, you know, DM is also queer and that's never a conflict. That's never something that needs to be addressed or, or talked about. It's just part of her life. And, and all of the drama that happens doesn't revolve around it, right? It's, it's just about, I don't want to lose another player, right? It's, it's <laughs> similar to, to how you're talking about representation, um, about just being and having background and um, being Asian and, and how that influences our lives, just be part of the character and not the central conflict or anything like that. Yeah, your your character's identity is more than just the perception of your culture, right? You talked exactly. about how you you are what you said you were fifth generation. I believe so, yeah. What, what what does that mean? Because it's not like your character is speaking Japanese. It's not like your character exactly. is eating Japanese food. Um, um and and that's something that you know, processing just in general has been so complicated for me because, you know, my family past my great grandparents didn't really grow up speaking Japanese. My, my grandparents lived on uh, the Hawaiian islands during world war II. So learning Japanese was not a big part of the culture. So I feel like culturally my dad's side of the family is much more Hawaiian than they are Japanese, even though, you know, if we were to take a, a 23 and me, it would probably say something different. Yeah. Um, and I bet your family's experience, your, your family's, Japanese experience was very different from, well, people in Japan, especially if they were in America during World War II. Yeah. Right? That, yeah. That's a very, very, that's a unique experience that a lot of people, A, don't see in media. Yeah. And B, don't and think about. That's, I, I was just reading um, a fascinating uh kind of biography, historical uh, narrative uh, called Over the Mountain, which talked about um, Japanese-American soldiers during World War II and just the cultural differences that you would find in um, Japanese immigrants who went to mainland U.S. and Japanese immigrants Mm -hmm. in Hawaii. Such a culture shift as they came to, like, training camps because... um, all of the Japanese American regiments in World War II were kind of segregated, um, yeah, because they were, you know, a security risk. Um, but just seeing those two groups interacting um, and just the differences in how they processed culture and how they processed language, right? Because a lot of a lot of Hawaiians in that time, it was like 
pretty heavily pigeon. Um, so anyway, so it's all just a bit of a tangent to say that, that, yeah, I feel like the way that it's influenced the character and the way that it's, it's kind of just background in a very different way is something that I, I tried to bring into Yorick. There, there are a couple of throwaway lines where I, I cemented Yorick as Hoppe. I'm going to have to rewatch to find those. It was, it was okay. I can, I can spoil it because are you, are, a lot okay. of it didn't make it into the edit. But ah, there's just okay. a part where Yorick is just like, I'm going to tell you my life story. And then they walk off into the sunset and Yorick, it's, it's unscripted. Um, so Same. I did a lot of just ad-libbing as we were walking away, like so many different lines. Um, and because I wanted Yorick's experience to be true to my experience, a lot of just the opening intro that I would do was related to World War II, Hawaii, Japanese immigration, colonialism, all that sort of thing. Um, which I think we only get like a snippet of. They took one of one of the tamer ones because it started to go off on a tangent. Um, <laughs> but I think the line is like, it all started with a, a Japanese fishing boat, a box of matches, and a dream. Oh, um, that that would have been cool to to see in the series. That would be super cool to see. I, I will make one recommendation for you. Uh, there is a uh, from for me like seeing Pete. Like I, I think you made a really important point, and it's seeing Asian characters kind of do things that aren't necessarily extremely close to their Asian identity mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. kind of struggle with their Asian identity, right? I, I think it's important to just kind of exist and just be, be an Asian person. Yes. The, the other thing I, that just inspired me to have this thought too, Zach mentioned he is fifth generation uh, Japanese-American so you have four generations before you who are American, born and raised, and immersed in the culture. One of the greatest things, and this is something to, to come back to your conversation about how does this relate to both your roles in Layla and as DM and your representation of being Asian, your culture, depending on the generation that you're in, in terms of no matter what culture you're in, is going to vary just like all of our technological softwares vary from generation to generation. And that right there to me, that's kind of an answer to say, okay, culture is what you, you have to, the equation for culture is what? Is you're looking at your experiences, your nearby people's experiences, and then um, maybe some genetics. And when I say genetics, I mean, there's certain foods that certain Genetics, maybe it, it doesn't like pair well with. Okay, there's certain I, there's certain, certain yep. people that eat spicy food, and there's some people who love spicy food. There's some people who taste cilantro and think it tastes like soap. I'm not one of them. I don't get it. You know, so like there's so that's to me, we live for a finite amount of time, and to think this is, I'm, I'm going to get to you. You might not like this or you might love this, Daniel. I think I'm going to love it. Okay, good, good. Because it's to say like, like, how do I say this? I had a world literature teacher in high school who once when I wrote an essay, I wrote something like, well, everyone in the world is talking about this one thing, okay? Whatever they were, I was writing about. Mr. Mateo, he said to me, Nebula, do you know everyone in the world? I said, excuse me? And and I went to uh, Cambridge Public High School. What, what? Best school in the world. Um, anyway, 
And he, uh, and I said, excuse me. And we, we were bad. Half of the kids were, we just would talk back to our teachers. It was really fun. I said, what, what do you mean? And he said, do you know everyone in the world? I said, what does that have to do with any of my sentence? And he said, you wrote in your paper, everyone in the world thinks the same way. I'm asking you, do you know everyone in the world? I said, no, but my mom talks like this and she's, you know, so she probably knows everyone in the world. And this is the first time I was actually critically thinking, okay, stay here with me. And I said to myself, I said, she said, well, I'll tell you this, at least in this class, you can only write about the things that you know. And if you do not know everyone in the world, you cannot write a sentence that says, you know, and everyone in the world believes something. I will tell you probably one of the best lessons I've ever learned, because I also got embarrassed in front of the class when I learned this lesson. Um, I said to myself, okay, what does that mean when I speak about a demographic of people? Pause. And I think ever since then, um, I, and I'd always done theater in high school and in middle school, and I was always a part of the entertaining and, and the dance and the theater stage community, excuse me. Ever since then, I had always taken a role that I had received as a singular, independent person experiencing a singular, independent moment in their given circumstance. And ever since then, to be quite honest with you, the more I got into the industry, especially in the last five years, I thought that we would grow as a part of the industry the way that I grew back in 10th grade in Mr. Mateo's class. And, and in my mind, I said, you can't ask that question. An actor in a given role, we do not have access to people. We physically, as a human being, do not have access to the greater whole. Um, so that's, that's one thing to ask an actor to speak on the greater extents of, you know, the demographics they serve. Now, pause, fast forward, but then you get into the business side of things because essentially our product is to serve the greater masses. What is called an audience? What is called, uh, you know, bringing a community to at large and making them feel seen for both um, mental health reasons for confidence reasons, for establishing their dreams and what they think they could be that they had never thought about because no one in their family has done it. Um, so to set up dreams, that is big. You're developing their future culture. Okay, now <laughs> we're coming down to, I guess, answering the question of um, DM and Layla and their being Asian and them experiencing everything that is actually very, almost like fourth, fifth, sixth generation American, in my opinion, the contents of being queer and being uh, uh, of multiple different um, uh, generation, uh, multiple different uh, identities in terms of their work and their work-life balance and living independently even. The concept may not be um, being queer and being multifaceted may not be um, in the forefront of the media, of all of the worldwide media that there is. It may just be America that's leading the force on this. I, I say that um, to say, for example, I'm from Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. I was born in Bangladesh and I moved to the United States when I was about eight 
or nine years old, and I grew up in Boston. Okay, in Bang- Bangladesh is like it just it's like fifty three or fifty four years old now. The country itself. Yeah. So one of the things that they're doing, they're fresh out of just trying to figure out how to manage and govern their country within 50 years. And while the culture is rich and the entertainment is rich, they're, they're trying to find the representation of their own communities. And that might not look like the same as a fifth generation Asian in America. 100%. So th- that to that to me is where I have so much appreciation for the vast range of all of the media outlets that we have now available and actually being very specific in terms of what audience we're speaking to, because just having Asian representation as a whole reminds me of being, you know, scolded by my, my 10th grade teacher who's like, no, but you can't speak for all those experiences. You've got different generations. You've got different countries. You've got different languages. You've got different foods. You better have a bigger podcast. You know? so. 100%. I, I mean, I think the, the point here is that, you know, we're not a monolith, right? And I think in order to have that sort of nuance, in order to have audiences feel seen, you need to have more than just three actors playing all of the Asians. Yeah. And Two of those actors can't be Emma Stone and Scarlett Johansson, right? <laughs> you're not like, gonna, you're not gonna get the nuances, and you're, yeah. you're, and there's so many of us actors. It's all, it's all vessel. An actor's work is whatever we can do with our vessels. My mm-hmm. voice, my sound, my body, my appearance, and my work for with the script is not the same as Zach's. And you are going to get a different performance out of Zach than you are out of Nabila. And so, if you have a bunch of us telling. Uh, ready, first of all, an actor who's ready and prepared for the vessel to tell that story, you're going to get a lot of beautiful stories that these writers and creators can tell. A hundred percent. And I think that's why it, you know, we need to see more of this. Like, and, and I know that on the YouTube channel, it said like season one of party. And when I see somebody like a series, a season one, that means there's going to be a season two. Right. (laughs) Right. We are not, um, officially disclosing any information we're in talks with the the producers i should say are in talks with um a couple of different options to get a a second season off the ground it's just a matter of you know acquiring funding whether we're going through um, a secondary producing channel whether we're going for something more ground up crowdfunding um but We'll we'll hear a lot more information. I I believe after the writer strike ends. Um, of course, yes, right. of course, so. absolutely. That that is cool. That's cool. Like I'm honestly like, uh, I hope everything goes well for the writers with the strike. I think obviously like they are the sort of like the backbone of the industry. Like stories <laughs> can't. <laughs> That's okay. Like, those were barks in solidarity. With, with the union, um, I hope to see uh, you know a new season. Uh, when I found out that you you know you have a martial arts background and doing stunts, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if in the scenes where they're in character in costume, we had like an action sequence? Let me tell you, I adore <laughs> um, fantasy action. Oh, I think I think um, 
because, you know, I, I've worked in a lot of stunt adjacent roles, but I really love choreography and, and, um, stunt coordination. Um, and I think, ah, there's so much you can do. Like, I, I feel like that's one of my oldest influences is Avatar The Last Airbender, right? Oh, yeah. Is taking a magic system and really incorporating the physical martial arts aspects of it. Can't be beat. So so cool. Have you played the Avatar RPG? I've not yet, but I've heard some some pretty good things. You should play it. You should play it. I recommend yeah. it. Um, I'm also excited for like live action Avatar and then the new animated stuff coming out. Because yeah. I... This is a completely separate conversation, but I think Avatar is a really interesting way, a really interesting example of how Asian cultures and Asian characters can be portrayed in a nuanced and respectful way by non-Asian creators. Yeah. Avatar was created by two white guys. Um, And it was so impactful, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in the early 2000s when that sort of thing wasn't that common. I think... Avatar to me almost feels like one of the most true expressions of Asian cultures in like a fantasy genre. Um, Yeah. In just a way that's respectful and true to like a lot of different cultures. I think that's something that's super rare. Yeah. I think if we're talking about just like Western media, then like, I definitely think it's groundbreaking. I definitely think you don't see a lot of that stuff. I mean, You've seen shows on like Disney, um, like Jake Long, American Dragon, Dante Bosco, um, who's also <laughs> Zuko. Um, you, there are like snippets of it, but but I think Avatar is like a really good example of a fully fleshed out world. Yeah, um, where you see the sort of blending of Asian cultures, but in a way that isn't saying, "Oh yeah, there are samurai everywhere," because you know in the official D&D world. Karatur is like the Eastern realms, the official Dungeons and Dragons Asian world. And there are samurais and ninjas everywhere, but then things are Chinese and then things are like South Asian. And it's just like extremely blended in a, in a painfully Orientalist way. Yeah. Um, but that's to say, uh, I think, you know, should, and I don't to say when the party returns for season two, I hope to see more development in these characters. I hope to see more stories away from the table. And I hope that, you know, when everybody is, is back together, um, you know, we're going to see more people coming into season two, having played D and D for the first time because of the party. Um, It's a really excited about that. And I'm really excited about like what you folks are going to do in your careers. Um, Now that said, the last question I have is, is really an easy one. If folks want to, you know, learn more about what you've done, see what you're going to be doing in the future, where can they find you on the internet? I'll start with you, Nabila. Sorry, I should have just said person first, then <laughs> asked the question. But Nabila, where can people find you on the internet? Sure. Um, I have a website. It's uh, nabilahussein.com. And then I also have an Instagram uh, presence. It's nabilahusseinofficial. Um uh, it's my handle on Instagram. You can you can follow me. I try to post all of my sort of projects. I specifically keep that for my projects um, and all of my film endeavors. Um, and it's it's been a, it's been a joy. So that's where you can follow me. That's awesome. And how about you, Zach? Um, I 
look, I struggle to maintain a lot of internet presence, but um, uh, the most reliable one is uh, my Instagram at the other Kumaishi. Um, Cause there's only like two or three other families out there with, uh, with our last name. It's fairly uncommon. So you're lucky. I have to deal with being Daniel Kwan in a post everything everywhere all at once. You know how many Twitter DMs I got after they won that Oscar? I got so many DMs and so many like at mentions on Twitter. Like, Congratulations. Wrong Asian. Like, yeah, I wear glasses and wrong Asian though. Um, so I think being unique is a good thing, <laughs> yeah. at least from my own experience. The, the lesser Daniel Kwan. Oh, I should have that as a handle. Um, but I want to thank you folks for like your, your time. I know we've, we've got a time limit and I want to respect that. Uh, I'm going to include all of your links uh, to your projects, your IMDb's, your Instagrams and all our show notes uh, and the little like description on YouTube. Um, and I want to kind of leave you with like a parting gift. And it's a recommendation for a song kind of about the diaspora. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, your family's history uh, in the United States Act during World War II. Um, there is uh, one of my favorite bands of all time, Linkin Park. Um, the rapper from Linkin Park, Mike Shinoda, did a sort of like a solo project under the name Fort Minor. And in 2005, on, the, um, on his album Rising Tide, there's a song called Kenji. And Kenji is about his family's experience being interned the United States during World War II. And it is a deeply powerful song that actually has uh, sound bites of his own father and I think his aunt talking about their experiences. And so I recommend that to both of you because it's extremely powerful. Um, and to the audience, like, please watch the party. It is incredible. Um, the more views, the, the more power that the creators have in bringing about a season two and in turn bringing about more nuanced Asian representation um, with your two characters. Uh, so that's it again. Thank you for your time. And uh, I look forward to just seeing you folks like thrive in your own, in your own ways. Amazing. Thanks so much for having us. Daniel, you're very welcome. <laughs> this was such a nice conversation. Thank you so much for inviting us. <laughs> uh, you're very welcome. And uh, again, both welcome anytime. Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters, the best part of role-playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter. And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles. We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. 
Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com. <laughs>